All right, well, we're there in Matthew uh, chapter number 6, and I want to bring your attention down uh, to verse number 24. Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and he speaks about this, uh, this, this idea that there's this, uh, these two masters that are kind of you know, trying to get our attention and affection and our love. And I want to start here this morning because this morning we're uh, beginning a series on uh, financial freedom. We're gonna, it's not going to be a long series. We'll spend a few weeks on the subject of finances. And, and I want to just say this uh, up front because I know when you come to church and you hear a pastor preach about finances, you think, oh, all churches just want my money and they just want this and that. And you know what? That's probably true for a lot of churches. And I can honestly say it's not true here. We don't push money a lot. We don't push giving a lot. Uh, we preach about it and teach about it as it comes up in Scripture. And we do it from time to time because it is in the Bible and we're not ashamed of that. But you know, our motivation around here is not finances. In fact, you know, everything we do around here, we give away. All the CDs, all the gifts, all the DVDs we have, they're all free. Uh, we don't make the, the house of God a house of merchandise. And I want to just explain from right... From from the beginning. This series is not about getting your money. It's not about getting you to give money. It's not about you giving. The, the primary objective of this series is to help you with your finances because today there are a lot of people that just don't know. They've never been taught. They've never had someone teach them how do you, you know, deal with finances? How do you budget? And, and how do you save? And how do you pay off debt? And what does the Bible say about it? And you'll find over the next several weeks that the Bible talks a lot about the subject of money. Now, let me go ahead and say this right now. The Bible does talk about giving. And we cannot preach a series on finances without dealing with the subject of giving. But some of you get really upset and mad. You say, every time I go to church, they want finances. So I'm going to tell you right now, okay? October 11th. You want to write that down or put it on your you know, uh, calendar or whatever. October 11th. That's a Sunday. That's the last sermon in this series. And that sermon, we'll be talking about giving, all right? So if you want to not show up that service, that's okay. Uh, you know, cheapskate, but no, I'm just kidding. You know, but, you know, I'm telling you right now. You're, you're safe. This week you're safe. Next week you're safe. You're going to be safe. You're going to say, I don't want to go to church and hear about giving. Okay, you're going to be good. You're going to be in a guilt-free zone, all right? We're going to be talking about your finances and helping you with your finances, but we will deal, deal with giving on the last sermon, October 11th, all right? So write that down. Put it in your calendar so you can skip that service if that's a big, if one of your big hang-ups, all right? Now, you may be asking, well, why preach an entire series on money? Why would, why would you devote, you know, four or five weeks to the subject of finances. And first of all, you've got to understand, you know, you live in our society, you know that you deal with money every day. And finances are a huge part of your, uh, of your life. But here we find in Matthew 6, 24, the Lord Jesus Christ said, no man can serve two masters. He said, for either ye will hate the one and love the other, or else ye will hold to the one and despise the other. He said, there are two masters. There are two uh, 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 you know, leaders in your life that want your love, your affection, their, the influence on your life. And, and he says, you can't serve both. He said, you're either going to hold to the one and, and hate the other or love the one and, and, and you're not going to uh, love the other. You're going to despise the other. And now here's what's interesting about this verse. When the Lord Jesus Christ gives this analogy, and then at the end of the verse, he tells us who these two masters are. These two masters that are trying to get your attention and get your, uh, your love and your affection. You know, you would think that he would say, you know, God and Satan, right? I mean, wouldn't you think like Satan's the enemy of God, the opposite of God? You think he would say God and Satan. Or you might think he would say God and sin. Or you think he might say God and self. 
But he doesn't say any of those. Notice what he says in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon there is an older word that's not used a lot in our uh, vocabulary, but the word mammon simply means this, material wealth. And Jesus said, there are two masters that want your attention. There are two masters that want your service. There are two masters that want your life. And he says, you can't serve both. He said, you're either going to love the one and hate the other. You'll hold to the one or despise the other. And then when he explains who these two masters are, he said, you will either serve God or you will serve money, possessions, material wealth. You say, why would you preach an entire series on finances? Because if Jesus thought it big enough, that finances and things in our life could compete with God himself, then I would imagine that it's a big issue that we need to learn how to deal and steward our finances. And here's what you've got to understand. You're, you're there in Matthew 6.24. Go up just a few verses to Matthew 6.21. And here's the truth of the matter, and this is what Jesus said before he made the statement in verse 24. In verse 21, he said this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, the truth of the matter is this. The place that money holds in your life reveals more about your heart than anything else. If we want to know what you love, what you care about, what you're interested in, all we need to do is look at your, you know, bank statement, right? All we need to do is look at your, your checkbook. Because where your money goes and where your money is spent is where your heart is. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. And then he followed up that with the statement that you cannot serve God and material wealth and money. He said, because you're either going to love things, you're either going to love money, you're either going to love material wealth, or you're going to love God. He said, but you can't do both. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be teaching you about what the Bible teaches about controlling this idea of material wealth and finances and money and how you can serve God and be a good steward of your money. Now this morning, I don't want to be very long. This morning is kind of just an introduction to this idea of financial freedom. And I want to give you four statements about money, four statements that you may or may not be familiar with in regards to scripture and just kind of give you a theology of money. So you just get a a base understanding of what the Bible teaches in regards to money. If you like to take notes, I'd encourage you to take notes uh, in your bulletin uh, on that course of the week. On the back, you've got sermon uh, place for sermon notes. If you need a pen, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to get you a pen. But we want you to take notes. And, and for the rest of the series, I'd encourage you, great, bring a piece of paper, bring a pen, bring a notebook, and it'll be a good series. It's going to be a lot of uh, applicable, practical things to help you with uh, your finances. So four statements this morning in regards to money. Number one, and I believe we've got to start here to set the right tone. The first statement I want to make this morning is this. God does not want you to love money. God does not want you to love money. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy, if you go towards the end of the New Testament, if you find all the T books, you've got them all put together. First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy and Titus. If you find that T book, go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 9. 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse 9. Statement number 1 this morning, God does not want you to love money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. But they that will be rich. Now, it's not saying like those who are going to be rich. The word will there is talking about what your will is, like what I want to do, what my goal is, or what your desires. Now, notice what he says. He says, but they that will be rich. He says, those people 
who have a desire to be rich. You know, the people that go to these seminars where they're going to teach you how to get rich quick and you only got to work four hours a week and you're going to flip this house and flip. And like, I'm not, you, you know, I know there's money to be made in real estate. I'm not saying that. But the, the people that, you know, you, you buy all the Donald Trump books and you buy all these, you know, that, that, uh, that rich daddy guy or whatever, you know, and you want to read all these books and I'm going to get rich. No, notice what the Bible says. But they that will be rich, notice, Fall into temptation and a snare. Now, the word snare means a trap. It's a trap. A desire for wealth, a desire for, for, for money is a trap. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful. And I want you to make note of this word, lust. The word lust means desire. He says, they fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And see, the truth of the matter is this. A man who is constantly, or a woman who is constantly in pursuit of things is, is like a person who's constantly drowning. Because how much do you need till you've had enough? I mean, you always need more. You say, I, I got the brand new. Whatever you get brand new, in one year there's going to be a better version, a nicer version. And look, you say, well, I just bought a really nice house. There's always a nicer house. I just got a really nice car. There's always a nicer car. I just got a, a promotion, but there's always more money. I mean, when will you ever get to the place where you just say, I, I have enough. I don't need any more. Because usually people who pursue money always need just a little more. And it's like you're drowning. And he says, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? And I want to make this clear. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. Money is a tool that can be used for God or uh, for good things, or it can be used for bad things and evil things. It's not that money is evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Now notice what it says. Which while some, I want you to make notice of this word, coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, the Bible talks about this idea of covetousness of lust. It's a desire for things. I want this. I want that. I need this. I need that. It's this pursuit. And all you're doing is you're going to fall into temptations and a snare. The, there's a sin of covetousness. Now, do me a favor, because we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning. It's going to be like a real Bible study this morning. So you've already got a finger or a bulletin or a bookmark or something, Lord willing, in Matthew chapter 6. Now keep your finger in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because we're going to leave here. We're going to come right back to it, then we're going to go back to Matthew, okay? I need you to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 7. If, if you start at the book of Matthew, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse number 7. Romans chapter 7. Let's allow the Bible to define itself and let's allow the Bible to teach us about this idea of covetousness and lust and desire and a pursuit of the love of money. Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. The Bible says this. The Apostle Paul said... What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, right? What's lust? Desire? He says, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, notice, thou shalt not 
covet. You remember, that's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. Now, notice what he says. He says, I wouldn't have known what lust was if the law had not said to me that I should not covet. So what does it mean to covet? It means to lust. It means to have a desire. It means to want something that you don't have. Now, here's what you've got to understand, okay? Go back to First Timothy chapter 6. Let me show you something. You say, well, what is the answer to covetousness? Because, look, we all have the temptation to go there. We all have the, the we, our flesh leans towards looking at things and wanting things. And, and you hear about something or you see an ad or you, or you look at something and you think, oh, I, I like that or I want that. We all have that. Our, our flesh regularly wants to do that. I mean, you know, how many people sit around, you know, just thinking about what I would do if I won the lottery, Right. You know, what would I do with a million dollars? Or what would I do with this? Or what would I do with that? You say, well, what is the solution to the disease of covetousness, of a love of money? Are you back in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Look at verse number 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Notice what he says. But godliness with, here's the key word, contentment is great gain. See, the word content means to be satisfied, means to be Happy comes from the same word as, you know, the Spanish word. Many of our church people speak Spanish. The Spanish word for happy is contento, right? Comes from the same root words there. It means to, to I'm happy, I'm satisfied, I'm not in need of anything. And here's what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, that's what we need. We need contentment. Say, so how do you deal with covetousness? You battle it with contentment. You learn to be satisfied. You learn to be happy. You learn to just say, I am fine. I am happy with the resources that God has given me. I am happy with the house that God has given me, the vehicle that God has given me, the, the, the clothes that God has given me, the job that God has given me. Now, there's nothing wrong with growing. There's nothing wrong with, with succeeding. There's nothing wrong with getting a raise and moving to a nicer house. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with the individual who has a love and a pursuit and their life is about gaining and getting well. Now he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at verse number 8. Same, same uh, chapter there, 1 Timothy 6. Look at verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Here's what God says. If you have food and you have raiment, the word raiment means clothing, he said you ought to be content. We like to complain a lot in the United States of America. We're a bunch of complainers. We complain about everything. But God says, you know what? If you've got food and you've got clothes, be content. And he says, that's enough. He said, it's good. And anything you got above that, he said, that's just a blessing of God. That's just even more. That's just even better. But he says, hey, and, and guess what? In the United States of America, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who can't get food and clothing. I mean, you can go anywhere and get food and clothing. And he says, let us be there with content. But you say, well, okay, so the, the, the problem is covetousness. The answer to, content, to covetousness is contentment. But how do I get contentment? And here's how you get contentment. And, and, and the key is in verse number 7. Because in verse 6 he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. In verse number 8 he says, And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You say, well, how do I get content? Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world. And here's the key. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. See, when you realize that the things that you have, when you realize that the possessions you hold, when you realize that the things that you have are just that, things, you can't take them with you. You'll leave them here for someone else. You'll die, and, and you're not going to take those finances and those investments and that clothing and those things. You're not going to take that with you when you realize that the things of this world are temporal. They will 
end. They will disintegrate. They will stop. They will not go with us. You learn to be content. Because you realize it's not that important. It's not something I can say. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Can you get your way back to Matthew chapter number 6? Remember we started in Matthew 6? Notice Jesus talked about this in the same context, the same sermon, the same idea. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19. Notice how he said it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth. He says, your goal ought not be to just lay up treasure and get as rich as you can and get as much money as you can upon earth. You say, well, why, Jesus? Why do you not want us to lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth? He says, here's why. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. He says, see, here's the problem. You lay up all this treasure on earth, but guess what? It's eventually going to just rust up. It's eventually just going to get destroyed. Someone's going to steal it. The stock market's going to crash. He says, don't make your life about a pursuit of things and possessions and money. Because you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain you can carry nothing out. He says, look, don't lay up for yourself treasures upon this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Go down to verse number 25. Same chapter, Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, and he asked this question, and it's an interesting, it's a simple question, but we ought to ask this, you know, of ourselves. Do we believe this? Because notice what he says. He says, is not the life more than meat? Now, the word meat in the Bible, it's an older word. It means food. He says, isn't your life more than just food and the body than raiment? The word raiment means clothes. He said, isn't your life more than just food? Isn't your life more than just clothes? He said, isn't your life more than just about the things that you have. Go, go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. You're there in Matthew. Just go to Mark and then the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 12. And look at verse number 15. Luke 12, 15 is one of my favorite verses in regards to this idea of being content and having a perspective of money. And, and we're going to get to Luke 12 and we're going to preach through that passage. Uh, not next week, but the, the week after that probably. But look at Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15. Notice what he says. Luke 12, 15. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. He said, hey, be weary of covetousness. Be careful of covetousness. Now notice what he says. He says, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. See, here's what you got to understand about money. There are people all over this world that have a lot of it and aren't happy. They're not satisfied. They're not content. In fact, there, there are, you, you say, well, you got all these movie stars, you got all these singers, you got all these athletes, they've got all this money. You know, if money brings happiness, why are they all on drugs and why are they all committing suicide and why are they all, you know, just trying to drown their sorrows in alcohol? Because, and I'm not saying everybody who's rich does that, but listen to me. Money does not bring happiness. Money does not bring satisfaction. Money doesn't bring the, the need that only God can, and that's why Jesus said, you can't serve God. Amen. You can't serve God and material wealth. So this morning, statement number one, as we kind of lay the foundation for this series on finances. Number one, God does not want you to love money. And if you have a sin of covetousness, if you are constantly talking about 
things and possessions and I want this and I want that and look at my new this and look at my new that. You need to really deal with that in your heart. You need to root out that covetousness in your heart. You have to ask God to help you to learn to be content. You say, well, it's hard for me to be content. Then think about this. You can't take it with you. It's going to stay here. Someone's going to inherit it. Someone's going to take it. Someone, the IRS is going to take it. Whatever. The government's going to take it. Number one, God does not want you to love money. Number two, I want to give you four statements about money this morning, just as we lay the foundation for the financial freedom series. Number one, God does not want you to love money. Number two, for those of you taking notes, God is not necessarily against you having money. God is not necessarily against you having money. Now, I want to say this. God does not want you to love money. But with that said, God is not necessarily against you having money. Because there's, there's these two extremes when it comes to finances. Either you've got, on one side, you've got, you know, the people who say, money is evil, money is bad, you got to, you know, you know, being poor is being right with God. And then on the other side, you got this prosperity, you know, God's going to make you rich, just claim it, you know, you want that Mercedes, just tell God, you know. But here's the thing, God doesn't want you to love money, but God's not necessarily against you having money. In fact, this attitude that rich people are evil and people with money are, are bad and, and God doesn't like people with money, it's not in Scripture. In fact, you will find, and I want to show it to you. Go with me to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. But you will find that many of the people that God used in the Bible were actually wealthy people. Let me give you some examples. Can you get to Genesis chapter number 13? It's the first book in the Bible. should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter number 13. And look at verse number 2. Genesis chapter number 13. And verse number 2. Remember Abraham? He's the one that started this whole thing, the patriarch. I want you to notice what the Bible says about Abraham. Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 2. And Abraham was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold. It doesn't say that he was rich. It says he was very rich. In what? In cattle and silver and in gold. You've got Abraham, who was mightily used of God, who started off and kicked off this whole thing of, uh, of Jehovah and Christianity and all of those things. And the Bible says that he was a rich man. You've got his son Isaac. Go to Genesis 26. Look at verse 12. You're there in Genesis 13. Just flip a few pages over. In Genesis chapter number 26. Look at verse number 12. Genesis chapter 26, verse number 12. Abraham was very rich in cattle. Then you've got Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. Again, one of the patriarchs. Notice what the Bible says about Isaac. Genesis 26, verse number 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now you say, well, how did the Lord bless him? Well, notice how he was blessed. Verse 13. And the man waxed great and went forward. And grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. So you've got Abraham, who started this whole thing, and the Bible says he was very rich. You've got Isaac, who was the son of promise, who was the one that, you know, uh, through his line came the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, through Abraham and Isaac. And the Bible tells us, guess what? He was very rich. He was a great man. He became very great. He waxed great in possessions of flocks and herds and stores of servants. And the Philistines envied him. Go to Genesis chapter number 30. Look at verse 43. Then you've got Isaac's son Jacob. You say, well, what about Jacob? Now, if you, you, now you can say, well, Isaac, you know, his dad was rich. Okay, that, that may be true. But guess what? Remember, Jacob lied to his dad and ran away from home. And Jacob had to start all over. Jacob basically just started from the ground up. And in Genesis chapter 30... 
And verse 43, notice what happened to this man. Genesis 30, verse 43. And the man, talking about Jacob, I'm not going to take the time to do the context. You can do that on your own if you like. But the man there is referring to Jacob. It says, and the man, notice, increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. This idea of God doesn't like rich people and God's against rich people and to be poor is to be godly is just not really found in the Bible because you got the first three guys and they were all wealthy. They were all rich. They all had money. No, I'm not telling you everybody in the Bible that everybody that uses has money. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the next point we're going to deal with that. But I want you to understand this. God is not necessarily against you having money. In fact, God used a lot of people that had money. Let me give you another example. Go to Genesis 41. Look at verse 39. Genesis 41, verse number 39. Because there are those who preach today, you know, you gotta just don't, just don't have any money, just be broke, just spend all your money, just make sure you're always struggling, and that's the only way to be right with God. Well, you don't find that in the Bible. Genesis 41, look at verse number 39. Remember, Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob. Now, Joseph really has to start over. He got sold into slavery. And notice where he ends up. Genesis 41, verse 39. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee, showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Here you got Pharaoh, the, the world leader at the time, the most powerful man on earth. And he says, Joseph, I will only be greater than you in the throne. Verse 41, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. I think he got a pretty good promotion there, right? He's making good money. Okay, you say, well, okay, well, that's all one family. All right, go to Ruth, chapter number two. Remember Boaz? Let's, let's flip, let's flip uh, you know, a few... Uh, decades in the future. Remember Boaz? You said, who's Boaz? Boaz was the man that uh, King David came from, the line of David. Goes back to, to, to Abraham and all that as well. Ruth chapter number 2. If you're there in Genesis, go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Okay, if you got Joshua, Judges, go to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. Ruth chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, notice what it says, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And if you've read the book of Ruth, you'll remember that Boaz is the hero of the story. He's the man that God used. And by the way, one of the reasons that God could use him, if you read the story, is because he was a mighty man of wealth. It's because he had the resources to be able to save Ruth and save the family there. And he was a mighty man of wealth. Go to 1 Chronicles 29. You're there in Ruth. You go past 1st and 2nd Samuels, past 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles. 1st Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, you say, you're showing us a lot of examples because I just want to make it perfectly clear to you. God, number one, does not want you to love money. But number two, God is not necessarily against you having money. In fact, many of the people that God used in the Bible had money. 1st Chronicles 29. Look at verse 28. 1st Chronicles 29. Because we, ha- we want to go on these extremes. All about money or all about hating money. But you can serve God and have money. You just can't serve God and money. And mammon. Are you there in 1 Chronicles 29? Look at verse 28. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 28. And he, now the context is David, King David. And he died in a good old age. Notice, he died full of days, 
Riches and honors. Here's what it's saying. He died full of days. He died full of riches. He died full of honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 22. You're there in 1 Chronicles? Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 22. 2 Chronicles 9, 22. You say, you're, you're beating a dead horse. I know, but I just want you to get this. I want you to understand this. God is not against you having money. 2 Chronicles 9, look at verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Chronicles 9, 22. 2 Chronicles 9.22, the Bible says, And King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches. And King Solomon passed all the kings. Even for a king, he had money compared to all the other kings. He passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Go to Matthew 27. I'm going to skip, you know, Job. You've got the story of Job. Remember, Job was a rich man. You say, well, Job lost it all. But if you get to the end of the story, God gave him twice as much. God gave it all back. He went through a trial, and by the way, we go through times where maybe God takes things away from us, and he's trying us, or he's putting us through something to make us better, but guess what? At the end of the story, God gives it all back, plus, you know, he multiplies it. Matthew 27, look at verse 57. Let me show you this one more. Matthew 27, verse 57. Matthew 27, verse 57. Matthew 27, verse 57, the Bible says this. When the even was come, there came a... Notice how the Bible takes the time to tell us this. There came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And you say, what did Joseph do? He took the body of Christ and put it in his tomb. And actually, there's a prophecy in Isaiah about the fact that Jesus was, you know, put to death with wicked men and with vile people and, and with thieves and, and robbers and murders. But he was buried with the rich because this rich man of Arimathea took the body of Christ and handed him. His tomb. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why, why are you showing us all this? Go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know we're looking at a lot of passages this morning. We're just, we're kind of laying the foundation for the series. I want you to understand what we're talking about, why we're talking about it. Deuteronomy, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in the, in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 17, okay? Here's what you got to understand, okay? If you have wealth, it's because God gave you the ability to get wealth. Anything you have is because God allowed you to do it. And by the way, if you're here this morning, it's because God allowed you to wake up this morning. Because God gave you life. Because God gave you breath. Because God, 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 God decided that you were going to do what you did or, or go where you said, no, it's my education. No, it's my career. No, it's my business. No, it's God. Notice what the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. And thou, and thou say in thine heart, my power and my might of mine hands hath gotten me this wealth. He's saying, you're going to say, he's telling the people, you're going to say when you're successful that your power and your might got you the wealth. But notice verse 18, Deuteronomy 8, 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he, it is God that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish this covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Say, so what, what are we talking about this morning? Well, number one, God does not want you to love money. I mean, was that clear? You know why I started with that point and not point number two? Because I don't want you guys thinking, oh, Pastor Jimenez is trying to teach us, you know, God wants everybody rich. No, you got to understand this. God doesn't want you to pursue money. God doesn't want you to desire money. God doesn't want you to love money because you cannot serve God and mammon. But, 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 God's not necessarily against you having money. He just doesn't want you to love money. Number three, four statements. We're on the third one. We're doing good. We're almost close. We're close to the hamburgers, all right? Number three, God is not for you not having money. Now, I know there's a lot of negatives there, but I just have to say it that way because it's funny. God is not for you not having money. 
Now listen to what I'm, I'm, I'm saying, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, I'm just trying to get you to, to kind of listen to and listen to what we're about to say. If you're broke, that's not God's will for your life. If you're poor, God's not happy with that. God is not for you not having money. Now, God does not want you to love money. God is not necessarily against you having a lot of money. But God is not for you not having money. Say, what are you talking about? Go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. You open up your Bible just right in the center. You're more than likely following the book of Psalms. And right after the book of Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 30. Now, listen to me. In the Bible, you will find that God is constantly talking about taking care of poor people. God is constantly talking about helping the widow and the orphan, you know, and, and, the, and the fatherless. But understand this. He's telling his people to take care of poor people because he doesn't expect his people to be poor. God is not for you not having money. Now, now let, me, let me make some statements because I, I know I'm going to get emails. I'm not saying God wants you to be rich. In fact, some of you, God does not want you to be rich because he knows that if he gave you wealth, it would take your heart away from God. But I will say this. God is not for you being broke. God is not for you not having money. Are you there in Proverbs chapter 30? Look at verse 8. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Notice what the, what, what the proverb says. It says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Now, notice what this man asks. He says, give me neither poverty. He said, don't make me poor. And he also says, nor riches. He said, don't make me rich either. Because here's the thing. Everyone in the Bible who was rich, they didn't have a desire to be rich. They were just working hard, and God blessed them, and they ended up being wealthy. They ended up being rich, but they didn't have a desire for it because if they had a desire for it, they'd love money. You understand what I'm saying? So this man says, hey, don't give me riches, God. I don't desire riches. I don't love money. If you send it my way, you know, I'll steward it fine. I'll, I'll do good with it. I don't want riches. But he, notice what he says. He says, I don't want poverty either. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Verse 9, you say, why don't you want poverty or riches? Lest I be full and deny thee. That's the problem with a lot of rich people. They're so full of themselves. They're so full of things that they deny the God that gave them the power to get the wealth. He said, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? I don't need God. Look at my house. Look at my job. Look at my career. Who is the Lord? But notice, or, or, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. You know what he says? He says, I don't want to be poor. Here's why. Because if I'm poor and I'm struggling financially, I may get mad at God. And I may do something wrong. I may steal and take the name of God in vain. He says, I don't have a desire to be rich. If God makes me rich, that's between God. You know, he, that's his wisdom. I don't love money. I don't pursue money. But he says, I don't want to be poor. Now, here's what's interesting. For most Christians, for most Christians, the best thing would be for them to be in what we in the United States of America classify as the middle class. Not real poor, not real rich, just kind of having food convenient for me. And the Bible says here, you got to have a desire to be just kind of middle class, not poor, not rich. Now, now you say, well, why is that? Okay. Now, I have found something in Scripture. Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. I know it's not really like a sermon this morning. It's, we're just kind of giving you some thoughts and, and doing a lot of Bible study. But go to Matthew, chapter 4. Here's what I have found in Scripture. Although God does use wealthy people, and we saw that already, gave you a lot of examples. Most of the people that God chooses and uses are what you and I would consider middle class people. Let me give you some examples. Are you there in Matthew chapter 4? Look at verse number 18. 
Matthew chapter number 4 and verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren. Simon called Peter. Does that guy sound familiar? Peter, the leader of the apostles. And Andrew, his brother, one of the twelve, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway left their nets, and, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. So here's what's interesting. When, God, when Jesus chooses 12, two of the twelve disciples, in fact, the leader of the disciples, Peter, guess where he finds him? Working a middle-class job. Just fishing? Just going to work, and God says, hey, you're, you're working. Why don't you come follow me? I can use you. Go to verse 21. Notice what he says. And going out from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Now you've got two other disciples, James and John. What are they doing? Just working. Just living. Just providing for their family. Just, they're not real rich. They're not real poor. Just kind of middle class. they got a business going. They're out there fishing. And God says, I can use you. You say, well, go to Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 9. Let me give you one more example. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9. We're messing up all your theories on money with the Bible. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 9. Notice what he says. Matthew 9, 9. And as Jesus passed from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Here you've got a fifth disciple. He's not a fisherman. He's a tax collector. But guess what? He's sitting at the receipt of custom. He's at work. And Jesus says, hey, I can use you. Follow me. Here's what's interesting. Every time Jesus found someone to work for him, he found them at work. He found them just kind of middle class, just kind of working. You know what I've found over the last five years of ministry? And I'm not, I'm not saying this to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Or I'm just, I, I just have seen this in ministry. You know what I've found? The people who are the most faithful to church, the people who are the most consistent, the people who are here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, for the most part, I'm not saying 100% because there's exceptions to everything, but for the most part, I have found the people that are the most involved are not the people that have a lot of money and are not the people that have a lot of time because they don't have a job. It's the people who you, oh, I'm surprised. I would think the, the, the men and women in this church that run businesses, have jobs, are just kind of out there, and I'm always surprised. They're the ones that are, that are here early, stay late, for the most part, just the middle class. And, you know, this is what I used to think. I used to think, oh, so-and-so, you know, they, they've got problems and they can't work or they whatever, so they're going to be real faithful. And, I, and it's like they don't, I think to myself, we'll send a van out and pick you up. I mean, you think you'd come to church just to get out of the house, you know? But it's like, you know, who are the most faithful people? People that are most busy, working, working class people. Something about middle class is these people that God says, I can use you to reach people. And by the way, that's why I believe there's an attack against the middle class. That's why I believe the government has an agenda to make everyone dependent on the government. And there's this agenda that, to make everybody poor because here's, guess what? If you are dependent on the government, you're not independent. You don't have freedom if you're dependent. Now, listen to me. If you're here this morning and you, you say, well, the government helps me out. I'm not against you. I, I'm for you. I'm not mad at you. But listen to me. That ought not be a lifestyle. Let's get, work, let's get you out of that. So you're not dependent. Because here's the thing. When the government's feeding you with food stamps, when the government's paying your rent through, you know, HO, whatever, whatever it's called. You know, when the government, you know, they got your health care. They, they even got you an Obama phone. I mean, when they got you, when they were paying all your bills, guess what? They own you. And that's what they want. The government is saying, oh, no, we love you. Be dependent on us. But listen, God wants you to be dependent on him. Amen. Amen. 
And when you are dependent on God, then you are independent of this world. And that is called financial freedom. And I'm, look, listen to me very carefully. I'm not against you. If you're getting help from the government, I'm not against you. But let's work to get you off of that. Because guess what God wants you to be? Not poor. So does he want me to be rich? Maybe. If you don't love money, if he feels he can trust you, he may want you to be rich. But I know this, he doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be what we classify as middle class. You know why? Because middle class people are the people that are doing the work of the ministry. And when God needed a man that was rich to supply a tomb, he found the rich man. But when he needed men to go preach the gospel, he found middle class men. So what have we said this morning? Number one, God does not want you to love money. Number two, God is not necessarily against you having money. Number three, God is not for you not having money. Number four, God wants you to learn how to manage your money. Can you get to Luke chapter 16? We're almost done. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter number 16. Pastor Jimenez, are you, you're, you know, you're mad at us because we're in this. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm trying to help you. I want you to succeed financially. I want you to prosper financially. I don't want you to be dependent on anybody. I want you to have the liberty and the freedom to serve God and do the things that God wants you to do. And by the way, that's what this series is about. It's about helping you become financially independent, financial freedom. Say, why? Because you want our money? I don't really want your money. We don't, you know, and here, I'll be honest with you. I don't, we don't need to preach a series of financial, you know, finance series at Very Baptist Church. Our people are very generous, and you guys take care of the bills around here, and you guys give. We almost never mention giving around here. The, 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 the offerings are always good. God has blessed. God is good. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in helping you financially. That you would not be in bondage to debt. That you would not be, that you would be able to serve the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, not your master card, not your discover card, not the government, not, you know, your pursuit of I've got to buy this and I've got to buy that. So what have we said this morning? Number one, God does not want you to love money. Number two, God is not necessarily against you having money. Number three, God is not for you not having money. Number four, God wants you to learn how to manage your money. We're going to bring it all to one big circle, we'll be done. Luke chapter 16, look at verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10. If you're there in Matthew, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Now, Luke 16 overlaps the same passage we were looking at Matthew. You'll see that here in a minute. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He that is faithful, the word faithful means trustworthy, someone you can count on. He that is faithful in that which is least, that which is the least important, the smallest, is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous what? Mammon. Material wealth. He says, look, if you're not trustworthy with money, if you're not trustworthy with the least, if you're not trustworthy with material wealth, he says, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit unto your trust true riches? Would you agree with this, that there are things in this world more important than money? That there are blessings in this world that you can't put a price on? And God says, I want to pour out the... He said, he said money is just the beginning. He said, God says, I'm, I'm so not interested. I'm so not worried about money. You're so interested in getting gold. I got to buy gold because the economy is going to collapse. God says, you know what? In heaven, we paved the streets with gold. He said, you know, it, it's, it, it's so valuable to me. We walk on it. And God says, if I could just get you to, to, to be trustworthy with the least, he said, I could unload blessings upon you. I could trust you. With blessings. 
with true riches. But he said, I can't even trust you with money. Why would I trust you with influence? Why would I trust you with impact? Why would I use you to turn this world upside down like I used Peter and James and John if I can't even trust you with unrighteous men? See, the key to God's blessing is learning how to manage your money. Because God's given you resources. And God wants you... The Bible uses this word steward. It's an old word. It just means manage. See, a steward is not an owner. He's a manager. It's the, the same idea of like, you know, you got, a, you got a, a, a store someone owns. There's the owner of the store. But then he hires managers to manage the store. Now, those managers don't own the store. They work for the owner. But their job is to manage. That's what God said. He said, I want you to... You say, well, how do I become... A good steward. How do I become a good manager? Look at verse 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's. You see that? See, the key to being a good steward is realizing that it doesn't belong to you. The key to being a good steward is realizing that it's not yours. It's God's. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give unto you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Does that sound familiar? For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going we're gonna to finish up right here. We'll be done. This is the last passage I'll, I'll take you to. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The key to being a good steward is realizing that you're not the owner. See, the reason some of you get so upset, you wrote it down in your little notebook, don't be here October 11th. I want to learn about giving. You know why you get so upset when you hear people preach about giving? is because you think you own it. So you think it belongs to you. The key to being a good steward is realizing you're not the owner. It's another man's, and that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 19. Notice what the Bible says. The last passage we'll look at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. What? What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Now notice this. Underline this in the Bible. And ye are not your own. He said, you do not belong to you. Verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. That was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice on the cross. You were purchased with the blood of Christ if you're saved. For ye are bought with a price. Now listen. Therefore. What, there, what is that therefore connected to? To the fact that you were purchased. To the fact that you were bought. To the fact that there was a great sacrifice. A great redemption made for you. He says for ye were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. Notice. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Don't miss this. Which are See, it's not, it's not that the money you have is God's, it's that everything you have is God's. Your body is God's. Your children are God's. Your marriage, is, it belongs to God. Everything you have is God's. And all, here's all we do with it. We steward it for God. See, your health, you ought to be managing it for God. Your relationships, you ought to be managing those for God. Your finances, you should be managing that for God. Now, in this series, we're only going to deal with finances. We're not going to deal with all those other things. We'll deal with those at other times. But here's what you got to understand. God has called you to manage the resources that belong to him. And God says, if you do a good job with it, I'll give you more. If I can trust you with it, if you're faithful, I'll give you more. So as we lay the foundation for this financial freedom series this morning, I just want to recap. What have we learned? Number one, God does not want you to love money. God does not want you to pursue money. God does not want you to desire money. The love of money is the root of all evil. It will destroy your life. But with that said, number two, God is not necessarily against you having money. In fact, many people in the Bible that God used were wealthy people. 
They didn't desire it. They weren't pursuing it. But God knew he could trust them, so he blessed them. Number three, God is not for you not having money. God doesn't want you to be broke. He honestly doesn't. There may be seasons in your life, like Job, where God may bring you down to bring you close to him. But God is not for, as far as God is concerned, he wants you to be in that middle class range because you're going to be able to serve him the most. But number four, God wants you to learn how to manage your money. And that's what this series is about. We want to teach you how to properly steward the resources that God has given you. So if you're here this morning and you have been blessed financially, you say, I have a, I have a lot of money, God has blessed me, I have a good job, I have a good business. Listen, you need, I want you to consider committing to being here for the next four weeks because God has given you great resources. And God wants to, you, to make sure that you use those resources in a Christ-honoring way. And we want to teach you what the Bible teaches about financial freedom and about stewarding your money and about living your life in a way so that you can properly and more effectively manage God's finances. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm broke. I don't have any money. You really need to be here the next four weeks. Because if you're struggling financially, we want to, help to, commit, we want to commit to help you. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be teaching you what the Bible teaches about what God expects you to do with your money so that you can be a faithful steward of the resources that he's given you. And if you're faithful in the least, he'll give you more. But you can't pursue money. You can't love money. You've got to be a good manager. So I want you to consider, and I want you to think, and I want you to commit. For the next four weeks, we're going to be teaching on finances. Next three weeks, we'll be talking about finances. The fourth week will be about giving. You can skip out on that one. We, we, we won't even be mad at you. We won't talk behind your back. We won't say, oh, so-and-so didn't show up. We won't do that. But I want to ask you this question. How are you managing God's resources? How are you managing the resources that God has given you? Let's bow our heads